This episode is dedicated to Jerry Allen Gillan, longtime inker for Marvel, DC, several other comic book companies known for closely collaborating with artist Lionel Francis Yu, and also creating the series Wasted. Alan Gillan was a rising star of a wave of Filipino creators in the comic book industry in the late 1990s and early 2000s. He will be heavily missed. Rest in power, Jerry. To me, my podcast listeners, welcome to the Dom of X show where we analyze the printed pages of Marvel's Mutants with another episode. I am your host, Professor Dom Torres, and here at my good side, my fantastic host, Dylan Gray. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great, Dominic. Thank you so much for having me, as always. I can't wait to get into this next set of X-Men stories, specifically the ones called X-Men. Right, and we're talking about the regular X-Men book this time, and specifically with all of this, after the pages of House of X and Powers of Ten, Marvel decided to take up that creative ball that Jonathan Hickman was bouncing around in the court and decided to push it out. Let's, instead of one book or two books, let's make a whole new line where we put your favorite guys on certain teams, and we're just going to push it forward. And out of this, we have the main title, right, with Head of X, Mr. Jonathan Hickman himself. And and I am really excited to delve in and and talk about the first couple of issues here. This is a book that I found fun. And let's do it, shall we? Yes, we shall. We are going to credit our creators or the creators on the book. Story by Jonathan Hickman. Interiors by Lionel Francis Yu, R.B. Silva, Matteo Bufagni. Additional inking by Jerry Allen Guillen. Colors by Sonny Go and Marty Garcia. Lettering by Clayton Cowles. Interior exterior designing by Tom Mueller. And senior editing by Jordan D. White. And with that, we have a pretty good, fantastic two-part speech where Professor X tells Cyclops to, it's okay. It's okay to open his eyes. And this first issue, I think, really kicks off what is going to be said in this brand new era what we're going to be expecting right for the next however many years we have of the x-men which i'm calling it right now five years i think i'm calling it a five-year plan on hickman's behalf that's what i think it might even go longer and like his vision might even extend that but i'm saying hardcore hickman five years calling it right now that's right and i think i think an interesting part of this is that this is just another one of those Hickman things where it's clear that there's sort of there's this plan going on and there you can see that he's laying seeds here and there. But also the fact that Marvel doesn't want their top selling franchise to run out of steam just as it gets back on track, right? Like you put in a creative head who's working the company for the past decade-ish and a half, and there's no reason for Marvel to say, "Oh, we're gonna cut it, cut you at two, three years, and all your it's done." No, this is this is something that I think we're gonna have to stick with a while. And whether I think people adore it or not is a different sort of discussion. But I think people need to notice that this guy is gonna stay as the quote unquote head of X for a pretty juicy, a pretty pretty long amount of time here. Like this isn't again, this isn't some sort of two, three office stay where you had a whole bunch of X-Men writers in and going out. No, this is, there's a, there's something going on behind the scenes, but we are going to think to see it enveloped for a long amount of time. And I think five, six years around that time frame sounds about right in terms of, oh, like Jonathan Hickman's doing this and it just makes sense for him to stay on. Definitely. I know he's a long-term plan guy. He has a huge, big, gigantic picture that he's, focused on that he's been working on maybe his entire life like who knows you know what i'm saying that's the kind of he's the long-term guy and that's why i've said like i said in the previous podcast like he every little detail means something and you should definitely be taking note of everything because it's all going to come back i've just watched that's just how he writes exactly. there's a long-term plan here that hickman wants to do 
And like with the endless roster of mutants and making more mutants and doing whatever the I mean, I it's it's unbelievable. I can't wait to see how this whole thing unfolds. Right. There's just so many there's just so many ways for him to go. And like you said, with the numerous amount of favorites that people have, because this is I think at the end of the day a character driven franchise, right? Like it's not only just oh, it's just Savior, oh, it's just Cyclops, oh, it's just Logan. No, this is this is a franchise where like some of people's favorites might be like X Men you may have never even heard of. You know that's that's how many mutants there are. The fact that everybody is in some sort of way back, it gives Hickman I think a more, I think it, it gives him more of an opportunity to showcase a lot of the guys that we may not know, even if it's not in his book. If they're in the other X Men books that have relaunched, Marauders, Excalibur, New Mutants, X Force, it's. It's showcasing off the fact that your favorite characters are here, they're all back in some way, shape, or form, and that they have a role in this new society. And that's what I love about this whole Dawn era, this whole Dawn of X era, is that everybody gets to be, I think, featured in some way, shape, or form. They're going to have their moments, right? It's a, it, there's, there's no point in him not staying had it not been for... All of these guys everywhere. And if they're not in Hickman's hands directly, they're going to be in someone else's. It's something that I appreciate. I think I'm going to have to say, like, he's definitely, especially moving forward and everything, way more hands-on with it. Like, he really has a team that he's talking to and they're communicating with. And he's really caused uh, or really made a good, kind of like his own separate universe. Like, I always like to say that Mark Miller, Mark Millar, to, uh, because you can't see me type it out or anything, but uh, Mark Miller, he has his own like his separate dimension mm-hmm. in Marvel. You know what I mean? With his with his connections with Enemy of the State, Old Man Logan, nineteen eighty five, uh, his Fantastic Four stuff. Oh my God! It's just all connected, and 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 that's why I say it's like his own dimension. Because but now they've kind of made it into major continuity with the whole Secret Wars kind of combining all of the universes together, which I thought was cool. You know, but still, wait. Is the Old Man Logan universe still, like, canon? Like, don't they have their own things? See, that's, that's I think, one of the most interesting things about this part of the lore. I think once we figure out... I, and Hickman sort of, I think, delves into what we when we talked about the previous lives and what's canon to that universe or not, because we did see some reiteration of Old Man Logan in the in the one of the last lives the ninth life of Mara x when he was part of apocalypse's horsemen right and i think i would like to see i would because i i personally like like old man logan is a very very fun book and it's it's increasingly fun in that in that nature and logan's also one of my favorite x movies is it would be Definitely. Oh, see, what I love about the Logan movie is that it doesn't even need to be, like, a superhero movie. Like, it feels mm-hmm. just like a yeah. mutant movie. You know what I mean? Like, you you could even call it, like, supernatural or science fiction, even. You know what I mean? Like, supernatural exactly. science fiction. And I loved it. Like, Logan hit all the notes. I mean, I was happy. I was sad. Patrick Stewart had F-bombs. I mean, what else do you need? Oh, and those fight scenes, we got to see, we got to see Hugh Jackman just go ham on these fools. I mean, for me, the like most hardcore cringe kind of attack for me that I saw in that whole movie was when Wolverine just boom gets the guy right in the armpit. Oh my god, that was oh super. Just imagine, just some Wolverine claws right into your armpit. Right, that movie was extremely bonkers. Also, again, it was very emotional for me and the fact that it, like a lot of that got to me. But what else got a lot to me was the first issue of Hickman X-Men, the actual X-Men book. And, and we start in, we're figuring out what the new status quo is, how is life on Krakoa, what are our feelings towards the rest of the world, but also... What, what are we doing here on the island? Who are we following? And so we, we start off with, again, we, with Scott and the whole rest of the nation. Who is, who joined Scott? Like, which, which parts of, 
which parts of the first issue that you did you love the most? Because there is a lot that goes on on the first issue. Because there's just again, there's a lot to set up for the future. Not only do you have to set up a new status quo, but we also have to plant the seeds for what is going to be covered later. Well, right off the bat, I liked I liked the the part where Storm is fighting the guys, and then like Cyclops like laser beams her. Or, but not her, but like around her to kill the one that she missed. And she's like, I'm tired. God, give me a break. And it's just a fight scene. And it's awesome. We get to see Magneto working with the X-Men, which is always fun to see. You know what I'm saying? It's not just freaking um, him fighting them. He's fighting with them. And that's really awesome. And like his whole, <laughs> as seriously, he's not Magneto in this. He is Bragneto. Okay. He just has this essence of like, I am the dopest. And I'm so glad everyone's listening to me for once and, like, we get to be mutants on our terms. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's what I love about the whole series. The mutants are finally sitting, no, this is enough. We have been dealing with this, not just through this timeline, but through dozens of timelines. We're not going to do this anymore. You know what I mean? And Magneto is embracing it so much, and I love it. Right, and... Right, and what I what I love about this first issue is that we get just a sense of Magneto taking the reins again. It gave me some of those X two vibes from the movies, and just all those these sort of epic badass Magneto moments where he's just taking in control of the room, like we've seen earlier in the series, and he's just putting himself in, and he's letting the humans know that he's the, the like this is the master of magnetism at work, and we can't let anybody else you know reign in on our party this is ours and as we see the other x-men fight and join scott magneto also joins in the fray and he just wrecks him like absolutely smashes it to a pulp and it's just so fun to see definitely ah definitely and the the way that he's being embraced too by by the kids he's totally loving that because he was always the bad guy you know what i'm saying he was always like Oh, he's killed people. He's, he's, he like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But like the children, like idolizing him and, and like wanting to be like him and help out and do all the stuff that, so he, the part where he says, we fight now. So you guys don't have to like, it's just, it's so powerful and so meaningful. And I, I love this version of Magneto so much. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And it just sets up a lot of, I think a lot of the what is going to be put into later with his character as we see him develop throughout the series. But then also of this, we have, again, we have other X-Men joining in. We have what, there's a bunch of beautiful conversations in this first issue alone. And this is, this is something that I, I love this conversation in particular. It's with cyclops and polaris as they are contemplating and what they've just seen of magneto being rejoiced from by the children and the rest of Krakoa citizens and they're finally out and scott's saying you know i'm home my my dad's home everybody's home my son's home and she's just asking him you know are you know do you believe this is real like are you like if it, and he's saying for the first time in his life, he's finally happy. He's finally in a place where he doesn't have to fear anything that's sort of coming towards him. Like this is a this is a safe haven. This is a safe haven for everybody that he loves. And he just looks back as she asks him, "Do you really believe in this ideal?" And Cyclops is just looking at her. She he just says every single word of it. Like I'm happy. I don't need anything more. I already have everything here that I could ever want. And just to see, like me as a as a fan of of Scott, I love to see him happy. And this is definitely one of the, I think those more human moments in in this series. Definitely. And it's funny you should mention Scott's happiness because Scott is really happy right now. He is in a polyamorous relationship. Is that it's really interesting to see um, because they've never touched on that. He's always been with either Gene or he's been with Emma, but now he has, he's with both. He's literally with both. And the interactions between Emma and Gene are really interesting too. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because they're both trying to have what they say, compersion for each other, 
but there's definitely a level of, you know, jealousy for both of them. And also the fact that, you know, they can both read each other's minds, both being telepaths. So they, there's no like really hiding what they can do. So they have to like really like be sincere, basically. Oh, absolutely. Yes, they totally, they totally, totally, totally. Man, just d- yeah, the gangbang. It's, it's a really interesting thing to see. Yeah. Well, that's, I don't think, see, you, I know the joke is the big X Men gangbang, quote unquote. Right. This sort of. Yeah, absolutely, and and the sort of the sort of plays into the joke that Hickman ran on Twitter, where he said that a group of crows is called a murder, a group of tigers is called a streak, and a group of mutants is called an orgy. I love the fact that Hickman's just getting into the nose of make more mutants, right? How else are you supposed to make more mutants besides the resurrection protocols, right? Like you right. gotta, you gotta get hot. You gotta they get got, hot. You know. They got, the whole point is they need to make more. You know what I'm saying? And it's really interesting because it's <laughs> how else do you make more? You got to do it. You actually you have to fruitful, go in there, you know, and do it yourself. And you got to do it. And man, the, the I don't I don't know if this takes in anymore, except for the fact that Cyclops, Gene, and Logan all share the same building complex. We see later in issue one that right. Oh, the the three are sharing. They they have all of their bedrooms connected. I don't know. I wonder why. Now that was a that was a great infographic. Let me tell you, having all the be- bedrooms connected like that, and like Gene is in the middle of of Logan and Scott, and then Scott is in the middle of Emma, and it's just like, okay, here we go. We know what's going on. Like they know what's up. We know what's going on. Yeah, and it's and it's so cool. I like it. I like where this is all going. It's just it's just a real modernization really of what X-Men should be. You know what I mean? Like it's it's hitting all the right notes in in these times because right now we are literally in a big change of times, like more than ever and like the timing of this series is amazing like it really is if you think about it because everything is changing for like the x-men you know what i'm saying the mutant kind in the marvel universe so it's really good for us to kind of see that and relate to it and like help like we see them changing the world it's time for us our world is changing let's let's it can almost help us through that exactly was that a good take yeah. i don't know absolutely and you know, like, again, like, speaking of, like, this is what the X-Men stand for, like, I, like, in terms of other stuff that happens in the first issue, too, not only do we get the summer house set up with all of Scott's family members in the same rooftop, we also get a... The Star Jammers! The Star Jammers. Oh, my God, the Star Jammers! Hickman brought back the Star Jammers and my, and the most ridiculous character name of all time, Chode. They, there's literally a Star Jammer named Chode. And I saw him in there and I was like, oh my God, no way. Is he going to say it? Are they going to say his name? Because they got rid of that character out of regular continuity because of his name. Because that slang came out after he was already like a hard, like fixed into the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my god, that's Chode. No, they're not going to draw attention. They're just going to throw it in there. She's like, hey, thanks, Chode. I was like, oh my Chode's god. Chode's here. Like, I can't. I, he's not, I can't believe it. Like, It's amazing. Like he's over here helping Gene out with the rest of the family. And it's like, yes, like, freaking Griffith's in. And like, 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 let's go. Like, it makes me so happy. Yeah. Like, Hickman, oh my gosh, you know. It's a it's fun to see him. Just, just hanging around with, with the Summers family as they're eating dinner making food and freaking Vulcan you know is over here he's freaking talking to Logan and he gets in he's breaking his steak and Logan just asking him to make it freaking rare and gives him the steak medium rare and oh my gosh and there were so many good hilarious moments just between everybody and oh, yeah. it's it's so it's so enlightening to see just in this one issue how many tones Hickman is able to set up just by pulling in strings from random random guys and different family members and all of the characters. It's all awesome. Totally, totally. And he's got an endless supply and roster. There's so much he could play with. Oh my god. Like I keep saying, I can't wait to see Legion. Like let's get some Hickman Legion, like, bro. 
right? Am I right? You're right. What is he going to do with that? What is he going to do yeah, with that? The, the, so the possibilities are endless. But I think my favorite, not only not only just the Polaris Cyclops conversation, is the conversation that he has with his dad. And this is, I think, where the X-Men feel the most human in the way that we can relate towards this is when dinner's done and Scott's washing the dishes and they talk about, he's talking about like, yeah, dad, like, you know, like Krakoa makes this weird goo and I just spray all over it. And then the plates are clean. And his dad's like, I'm going to throw up <laughs> if you ever say anything like that again, son. Yeah. Uh, but the goo. Oh my God. Let's talk about the goo. Oh my God. They can't wash the dishes. No, because they, they don't want to waste the water, so they just spray goop that the island made onto the, the dishes, and the bacteria... No, no, no. The the goop, like, eats all the bacteria and extra food particles and everything. It's so hilarious, and didn't they say it was, like, it was some sort of compromise yep. with the island? Yeah, they were, right? so what Scott essentially said was, Krakoa tried to give us edible plates that were quote-unquote improved... Right, the edible plates, and this was the that this was the yeah okay, and it's yeah so the so we just got the goo in for the compromise, but at the end of the day, it's Scott and his dad. They're both happy, and that just makes me happy. Like you know, at the at the end of the day, like Scott puts his arm, like you know, Corsair puts his arm around Scott. He just brings him in a hug, and, and that's I think the most human elemental part this first issue yeah not only can hickman write these great fantastic epics there are also fantastic seminal character moments that he sprays in there too so you get your mix of both sci-fi high conceptual bs but you also get your a we're just having two characters talk to each other and we're having a fun time yeah you know, really good character development like uh, other writers can do. And he does it in a way where it doesn't interrupt the story. It gives us what we want. And it's not the main focus, you know. I've, I've noticed that there's other writers out there that really focus on character development. Not to name any names. But they can... F but world building, character development, dialogue, these are all the tenets that is makes a good story. And you got to be able to do all of them. Or if you can't, work with someone who can. That's it. And he's just, uh, he's, he's got them all. He's just got them all. Like, I swear, I bet you he has one of those Pepe Silvia kind of setups. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, there, uh, you go to his house and there's literally just oh, like man. rooms yes, covered yes, with yes, strings yes. and like, like newspaper clippings. And like, he's going straight Pepe Silvia on it. Oh man, like yeah, there's got to be a whole bunch of those. But yeah, like you said, Hickman essentially hits all or most of the boxes that you get for good writing. And essentially in this world where you are this era where you have to start world building, some other writers may forget that they're writing characters, right? They're scripting characters and they need to progress their stories too. But again, with the Summer's House and everything that is established here, it is a perfect First issue that told me, yeah, I am fully going to be invested in the long run if we get more like this. If we get more family moments like this, if we get more setup like this, if we get more awesome action scenes like this. That's where I said, yeah, let's do it. I'm strapped in. Let's go buy the rest of the issues. Yes. No. I mean, I was into it with the setup of Hawks Pox, uh, House and Powers of X. I was in it. To win it, as they would say. And then just right off the bat with the first page, I was like, yep, I'm, I I went from liking this and being intrigued to falling in love with and can't waiting to see he, what he does next. Straight mm -hmm. up. Yep. Absolutely. And yeah, we just continue. We just continue. Fin yeah. Fantastic first issue. Got us all involved. And if there were any doubts that were lingering they were all wiped away because we knew what we were going to get because of this first issue. And as we delve on more Scott Summers adventures, and we find out that Krakoa has this beef with the other island, which was mentioned in Powers of Ten Number Four with Araco, and they're making a headline out of it. And so, what are, what Scott's up to? What is he? What is he up to? What are they doing now? And 
what's what's going on with with this situation after the establishment of his household well it seems like for the first time ever he really gets a chance to be a father there's all before in other series he's always seems to be like on the run or Cable, his son Cable is like traveling through time. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, and then you know, like, yep, don't even get me started. Cable. That's good old Cable. Phoenix. Yeah, and Phoenix too. I mean, she don't even get me started. She's you know, she's got problems for days. You know, I mean, just the spikes right. alone in her costume. I mean, you know, how is she supposed to sit on anyone's furniture? You know, I wouldn't invite her over with that suit on. Would you? Oh man, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, it's crazy that like these two are are gonna be working for they working with their dad now and trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And lo and behold, they're going through the other island, Araco, and they see these weird beasts. They finally touch in. They're investigating and and they're just shooting. What the heck? Who's this? We see this weird white person who's flaming hot. Who who the heck are they? Because I've never seen them before in my life in, in any comic. Apparently, they are, well, the white dude, the super pale powder looking dude. You probably don't know powder because I'm, you're hella young and I'm as uh, dirt. But um, this dude apparently be, is some sort of summoner from another dimension. And his mother or a uh, person that gave him his powers is what it seems like to me. Uh, is trying to communicate with Krakoa for whatever reason. And the island of Krakoa is flying super fast, like trying to get to this island, and we don't know why. All we know is there's hella monsters on this island, and Krakoa's taking the entire mutant population there. And so the Summers family is dropping in to uh, not take names and not chew gum, if you know what I'm saying. Lo and behold, they get in a fight because Cable gives him his last thermal grenade and they blow up cable gives him his last thermal grenade he clicks on it blows up the three fight him and they fight badass action scene and we figure out oh why you know what the heck is going on the two islands emerge and they bond together they reform they're back under one yes and that's correct krakoa literally and figuratively smashed into that island apparently these were two separate beings at but at one point they were all one being and now they're coming together and now there forever will be two parts of krakoa is that correct like now it's all cool and green again right like they they rebond they reform and the two separate figureheads like they join again and he lives there because the other person lives there and we later see from the shadows what's apocalypse doing here like he just comes out of the bushes like all of a sudden after the two islands reemerge and reform oh you know he was doing in the dude he was in the bushes whacking it watching the islands do it bro that's what was happening all right <laughs> hands down you didn't get that vibe that's what i got from that i don't know what did you think it was man it... i i'm telling you like well for one you get the we get we get we find out the fact that this dude this summoner is apocalypse's grandchild so apocalypse we have one of the war is one of the four horsemen and they find out that war gave birth to the high summoner and we can maybe maybe not safely assume that all the other summoners because there are other summoners on the island that are running around Araco, we can assume that they're all under this one tentfold right but also in the same part there's something weird going on because i have oh man like these two are hugging and yeah you know, Apocalypse is saying that he'll be safe and that all of the other island will be safe, which is, right. again, from right from the setup that we got in Powers of Ten number four when we figured out that Apocalypse and the Four Horsemen were there when what? the islands were split. And you now... You can't trust Apocalypse. Well, like he... this is just setup. This feels like a, this feels like setup for something bigger that will be going on later. We don't know what that necessarily may be yet. But all we do understand is these two are here and they're going to be fighting together for whatever right. reason that may be. We don't know. Right. But 
They're going to be working together. Which is funny. It's really interesting because um, he has the baby with war, right? So this is... Mm-hmm. And for, so this, like, kid is, you know... Or excuse Well, he's a grown adult summoner now, right? Right. But he's, he's the essence of war. So, all, honestly, I'm not really worried about it. Because everyone knows that... What's it good for? Absolutely nothing. So I'm not worried about war. I think he's just gonna get taken out, just like. Oops. Oh man! Like, again, this again feels like setup. We don't. We figure out that there is something going on between the other island and Apocalypse that the other mutants clearly don't know about, except for Cyclops, and that's it. We just move on, and that's the end of this. The end of this part. But there's something eerie going on between these two. Yeah, and it's it can only. Yeah, and with a summoner, I love the whole idea. I love the idea of summoners. It's one of my favorite kind of magic that they have out there. Like being able to bring like some sort of beast from another dimension is really awesome. Vibes from Hickman's Black Swan and Avengers, where again, like yeah, like this is cool. Yeah, Black Swan. Oh, and I love how Black Swan got brought in and. Uh, got to be a part of Thanos' squad. The Black Order. Oh my god. So awesome. I love the Black Order. Did you read the Black Order book? Good stuff. Oh, so good. I yes. loved it. And I was going into it thinking like, okay, I'm just going to get it. Whatever. You know, I'm going to throw it on my collection for like, you know, bad guys and cosmic stuff. Cool, cool, cool. And then I read it and I was like, oh my god. They brought layers to all these like crazy murderers. It's unbelievable. It's great. It's it's so Ugh, chaotic evil. Um, it's amazing. I love it. Right, and I think, yeah, like you said, like if we get some more of those fun epics just, just like that, I think the High Summoner has a lot of potential to be this very interesting character. Definitely, definitely. I... We move on to what is pretty much another setup sort of issue where the Quiet Council of Co is brought in because this weird group of four ladies just stepped onto the island. What are these four ladies doing here on the island? Who's trying to stop them? What are, what's their goal? Why are they here? I've never yeah. seen them before. Just like Who the summoner. A bunch of old ladies talking about their hips and stuff. Like, what's going on? <laughs> and then they just take out these X-Men like nothing? Are you kidding me? It's... It stems from the fact they're called the horticulture. They're a bunch of old ladies who want to sort of see the world depopulate so that the planet can go back to its ordinary, quote-unquote, perfect form with all their plants. Eco-terrorists. Super eco-terrorists. That's what I think they'd be classified as. I dig it. I dig that classification, and I'm with you there wholeheartedly. Definitely. Yeah, they, they just take out, like, these X-Men, like, they're just nothing. They take out Sebastian Shaw. They almost take out Cyclops. And freaking Emma is just over here being badass and just stopping them. Stopping them yeah. in their tracks. Yeah, and then they, they just take in their leave and go. But I think it's interesting that we get this sort of new super eco-terrorist setup here. Definitely. Uh, we want, I think I want to know more about them. We know that they are crazy and that they want to see this world sort of reform back to it. Yeah. Nothing much is set up between there, but... You know Hickman, they'll come back they have for certain. literally zero fucks that they give. Like, there is not one that is given in this in, in, entire time they're on, on page. They are just none. They are there to... They they just assert dominance on the, on the X-Men. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it was nothing. And they even say that they were disappointed about how easy it was. And they're just a bunch of old, old ladies. And I'm like, ugh, it's so crazy. I can't wait to see what they like what are they going to go up against what are they going to do you know it's going to be some crazy arc with kokoa like the actual island itself you know what i mean and that oh, it's it's going to be amazing i can't wait to see i can't wait to see right like it's just they just stomp them over like they're nothing like these guys who are guarding the gateway they're nothing sebastian shaw oh yeah he's this supposed king of the hellfire trading company he's nothing Cyclops, leader of the X-Men. He's nothing. Like, it's just, just, just roll over and storm. And I think there's definitely, again, a lot of potential. Like, if we see them in upcoming books, 
is going to be interesting to envelop what their true purpose is and how they're going supposed to supposed to do it because they're quote unquote super eco terrorists, like you said. Now, how are they going to display that vault? Because we had we specifically said that humans were their main problem, and now all of a sudden mutants are on the map and they have to go check up on them. And just to crossplay between both of those because they know that they're human. We we know that the horticulture are human. We know that the mutants are mutants. And how does that all play out in sort of this whole weird plant vibe that, that we're getting from? Yes. And again, this is mostly set up. We don't know much about them besides what their goal is. And it's just a plot point that Hickman is just going to lay out hopefully for the future but in terms of plot points we left what we left off from house of x is a sort of anti-human mentality that is being faced we see it in x-men number one where storm is just laying out she's saying men should know man should know when he is beaten and now we get to see that fully enveloped with the fourth installment of hickman's x-men where they touch down and they're over here in Switzerland with many of the world's leaders and representatives. So what have you noticed specifically again from Magneto because he is in a lot of these issues? Yeah. What do you specifically notice from him in terms of just how he's feeling with his suit off? So now you see him and he's here in his bold white glory it's just in this white suit what's he up to uh i'll tell you what he's up to once again magneto is bragnito he his posture his his swag his his like you have to you have no choice but to respect me and my power on every level kind of feel and he loves it he basks in it and i love that that way of him, you know, like once again, this is my favorite Magneto that I've seen, like across the board. And I've I've read a lot of Magneto, you know what I'm saying? He's one of my favorite, and I'll say he's one of my favorite heroes, okay? Magneto's not a villain. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He's my fav- one of my favorite heroes. So I can't, it's, it's great to see him finally get what he's been working towards. Oh my gosh. The fact that he, lay, like Hickman was able to lay off, because I actually read this in a college class last year it was for english we read island by aldous huxley hickman quotes him by saying when they're where they're he's talking with the representatives and saying armaments universal debt and and planned obsolescence these are the three excuse me so he says so in the island Huxley says that armaments, universal debt, and plan obsolescence are the three pillars of Western society. If war, waste, and money lenders were abolished, you'd collapse. And essentially what Magneto is saying here is he's just he's just going all out and talking about how in many ways we've seen a lot of Western civilizations, whether it be countries, empires, Nations just lay waste because they have all fallen to the same things that they, it's just a residual cycle of we're we're doing we're doing this we're off on our own like we see Rome we see it rise we see it fall we have this Bronze Age we have the Dark Ages before the Renaissance and the Middle Ages and we don't know what's going on there because man can't seem to get a hold of himself. We have to scrap in material. We have to rewrite history because we don't want to remember what was in our past. And Magneto keeps telling of these fantastic examples of when we are down, mankind always falls into the same same traps. We right? We see every time. Dude, I listened to the women of the view tell Bernie Sanders that you need to forget about the Iraq war that was so long ago. Like, are you kidding me? Like what? Like like that was and that's what they that's what they do. They're just they just you know and that's what humans just want to move on. You know, they want to forget about the past. Like, let's not worry about the past. But you can't. 
you can't forget about the past because that's how you learn. That's how you get better. That's how you evolve. That's why the mutants are evolving because they're learning from all of humanity's mistakes, everything that they've fallen for. And he he's just calling exactly. them out and he doesn't even care. He's just he literally has whipped out his metaphorical dick on the table and has said, "This is what's going down, guys." Boom. I have never seen a character lay out as many roasts in a simple conversation as Magneto did. And no. he's like straight up. That was roast giving <laughs> right there. Like uh, he just he just was burning them left and right. Like they needed a mutant healer in there because he burnt all those fools so bad. Like l- everything they tried to get at him, he was just like, "Nope." He had a response for everything. "Nope. Nope. Nope." It was like <laughs> the roast of the United Nations <laughs> hosted by Magneto brought to you by oh, I was just so perfect. It's it's everything that I've wanted from his character from just a long time and now I'm getting it. I think my favorite part of this all has just to be him just explaining that there will be no war. I'm going to buy you. We're going to buy I'm going to buy your politicians. I'm going to buy your teachers. I'm going to buy everything that you have. Because I will get leverage on you guys somehow, whether it be the drug trade or whether it just be us playing straight up, doing our own thing. And and him acknowledging that the mutants, like as you said, because they are evolving, they are adapting to whatever is happening and they're not letting go of that past, but instead embracing it and taking what's forward. They're taking in the fact that, yeah, they may have lost a billion times, but they're going to use those mistakes turn it into something for their greater good push it in That's a right. way that they know that they will win if mankind ever tries again to stop them it just makes me so happy That's right it's not how many to- it's not how many times you fall down but how many times you get up and not stay down you know what i mean I'm butchering the quote, and I don't know who originally said it, but I heard it on Parks and Recreation. Like, I love it. (laughs) Exactly. She was quoting some... Yeah. That's the bottom line. They are not giving up. Okay? That's just it. And not only are they not giving up, they're taking charge. And And like Magneto says, he's like, we're using your own playbook. We are doing the stuff that you guys do to get control over the rest of the humans. And so we're just doing what you do it. And we're actually better at it than you because we're mutants and we're right. homo superior. So all you sapiens, get out of here. Or no, no, he's not saying get out of here. He's saying all you sapiens work for us now. Straight up Frank White from King of New York style. He just walks in and he just says, from now on, nothing goes down unless I'm involved. No blackjack, no dope deals, no nothing. A nickel bag gets sold in the park. I want in. You know? Like, literally. You guys got fat while everybody starved on the street. It's my turn. And the other guy's like, oh, you think I'm just going to let you walk out of here? And he just walks up to him and shoots him right at the blackjack table. And he says, if you guys are tired of getting ripped off by people like that, pow, pow, shoots him again. Come see me. I'll be at the park hotel. You're welcome. You're all welcome. And that's the... That's the vibe I'm getting from Magneto. Like, he's just, like, killing the people that deserve it. And he's telling everyone, you're welcome. I'm in charge. And and our good boys, Scott and Gorgon, they're cleaning up the messes. We find out that one of the people inside this meeting is an Orcus member. And they were supposed to register in an attack. It fails. What I'm actually impressed by, not only with Magneto, but with Xavier on the other hand, right? He's here, and yeah, he just flat out tells him, I got assassinated all the way one month back. But he just reiterates again to the same point of Magneto that his dream is far from dead. Like, we're just starting. And the fact that we are not only going to live in coexisting peace, but also the fact that he loves every single person in this room. He doesn't hate them. It's just that he's reiterating what, again, what Magneto has said, but also in the fact that he is never going to stop believing in the dream and also in humanity. And for the first time since House of X and Powers of Ten, we get to see Xavier's bald yet 
beautiful face and it just yeah it gives us confirmation Did, you, was there anyone else in no it was 100 charles francis xavier under that cerebro helmet yes and this is him yeah and seeing that too the confirmation of that like there's no way no one can say anything now it's official boom yeah this is like yeah this is oh is this cassandra right nova is this some no this is Charles Xavier, the good ball genius himself, mm-hmm. laying it out to these fools that yep. his dream of coexistence is not dead and that we all need to adapt, we need to evolve, and we need to be better. Because if not, right. we're going to get you guys. His dream of coexistence is now a demand. Right. That's it. Coexist or it's, die. It's just, it just is what it is. <laughs> and just a beautiful note. And it, it again, Magneto, just at the end, if you try, we're going to give you a harsh response. That's what's going to happen. And there's nothing you can do about it, right? Yeah, harsh. Let's talk about the Gorgon. If you remember, he's the main antagonist in Enemy of the State. So to see him back and working with the X-Men is pretty awesome. And the way he just takes all these fools out, just cuts their arms off. He says, yeah, this is my mercy to you guys. I'm just going to take all of your arms and you're just going to have to deal with it. That's what's going to have to happen. And you should be glad that I'm giving you mercy. He doesn't even need to cut their arms off. He could take his glasses off and turn them all to stone. You know what I'm saying? But he chose give them mercy to teach them and other humans a lesson. Y'all can't fuck with us. Bottom line. That's what he's saying. Yeah, to you them. just can't get me and Scott and him and fighting. Oh my gosh, just all the blood stains, but also the fact that he was able just to whoop everybody's butt in that room. Just so beautiful. You need to see more of that. Yes, yes. I, I like I like good Gorgon content myself. So Gorgon, Morgan, more like Morgan, right? Like more, more Gorgon, more Gorgon. You are going to trademark it. We're just going to put it across every single platform. Morgan. That's what we should call it. Morgan. More. But then it exactly. just sounds like Morgan. It doesn't even sound like more Gorgon. It, it, we, it's we'll not figure out a way it's to not gonna work. F- put it in. But as we continue our trend on, after the Economic Forum meeting, we're here and we're going to go into the deep vault. We're with Scott and we're with Logan. We find out that Scott... What, what's happening on here? We got... Well, it's called the, where, what are the children of the vault? We saw one in issue one, and we see more of this in the fifth installment of the X-Men run. They seem to be some sort of, like, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, sentinel kind of kids, right? Yep. Really weird. Really cool design. They're different. They're for characters from Mike Carey's X-Men run. Post-human, hobo, novicima, just some sort of that. We get confirmation from Polaris and Storm in issue one where Serafina pops up and she's out real quick. And now we get to see more of them in issue five as Logan's trying to find them and run them off. Or not run them off. Logan's trying to catch up to them. He's trying to take them down. And lo and behold, he's taken to this huge gate sort of door. And Seraphina's in. And lo and behold, we get to see on Krakoa that Xavier has a team set up to take down the vault. Who are they? Who, who, who Who's going to take down these children? Oh, who's he going to have? Okay, once again, Hickman taking the right mutants for the right job. Like... Hello, you got X-23, who obviously you want on any Black Ops mission. And you've got Darwin, whose power is literally to adapt to any situation. It's it's amazing. And then you have Cinch, whose power is to duplicate powers. So he's going to duplicate one of their powers. And it's so awesome. That's like the perfect team. So first off, let me thank Jonathan for pulling... Laura Kinney out of Fallen Angels to the regular X book, acknowledging that Tom Taylor progressor character in all new Wolverine. And now she's here as Wolverine. She flat out tells Logan, I'm actually Wolverine. Right. Because she's a clone. She literally is Wolverine. Logan, just tell him, you tell him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You're like, I am Wolverine. Stop making me. And 
I love that. She's standing up for herself. She's like, no, I'm not just the female version of Wolverine. I am Wolverine, and you will respect me as much. Boom. Like, boom shakalaka. Like, this is what I actually wanted out. Like, she's here next to Logan. Same claws, but same Same name. outfit. And, same. and wearing it way better, by the way. Can we just talk about... How much cooler she looks as Wolverine than Wolverine himself. So dope. Uh, yeah, Laura is just here shining in all her glory in that all-new Wolverine vibe and outfit. It's just glorious to see, and that's that's what makes me happy. Because as a, as a huge fan of Laura, getting to see her back in this uniform with these colors, too. It's just so gratuitous. It makes me so joyful as a as a person you gotta use the yellow you know it's it's quintessential for x-men you gotta have that you're not wrong bud like the yellow just just hits on so many levels and man it's just so good and the fact that she's gonna be teaming up with with cinch and darwin to take the take the vault down is gonna be a whole bunch of other on epic proportions and we figure out that this vault is really deadly they might not even come out alive and for the first time, I think we see in this X-Men series too, Scott's having some issues. He's just distraught. We see in the first part, he's asking himself, what has he done? What the heck was he thinking sending the three in? Why is he so distraught? Like, what's up with the vault? Like, why is it so deadly? And why is he, why is he mad at himself? Well, because it's like, it's, it's a time, like, temporal anonymy it's scary to think that this vault that contains all of this prowess actually holds some people in and we might not even see them until way later that's a scary part too is that sure we get some great lore moments here but when's the next time we're gonna have the the next great laura kinney moment in hickman x-men when laura and darwin get together and make the ultimate baby Okay, I'm shipping oh, them okay. right now. I am shipping, ladies and gentlemen, you can quote me on this. You can at me on all social medias. I am shipping X-23 and Darwin right now. Boom. The greatest Dylan. love story never told yet. Boom. But Dylan, she's Wolverine. You need to respect her as Wolverine. So I think we should call her by Wolverine now. Like, that's her. You're right. Like, Excuse me. You're right. no longer X-23. No I'm, more of that. You're right. So you're right. You know what? We need to start. Okay. We can't say X-23 and really we can't say Wolverine. What we need to be saying is Logan and Laura. Look, let's be real. This is what we should be dating. For real. It's just on an, yeah, on another level. I think I want to see how the team gets into the vault, what's going on behind there and how they're eventually going to get out. Because man, I don't know about you, but I can't wait 500 years to see what happens. I'd, I'd rather have it you know, be resolved sooner or later. Maybe in one or two years, we can finally hit up on this again and see what they've been doing on the other side. But overall, I thought I thought this was an interesting feel to see what the children of the vault were. We get a pretty decent introduction. Wait, into did we? Did the, we? Did we get an introduction? Or did we say, here's some people and here's some things. Here's some people, here's a place. Good luck. Like, we're going to talk about it later because that's the vibe I got. Am I wrong? Was there more to it? We get the sense that they are these weird sort of different creatures, but the problem is there's just not enough for you. If you're coming in as a new reader, say, and you go in, you're like, well, who the heck are these people? Sure. You get a sense of level of they're a threat, but I want just to want to see more of what's happened inside the vault in action. And here we get the threat levels, but I just want to see what's happening, what's enveloping inside. If we can get or that good lore content inside. Same with Darwin, same with Cinch. I think that would be better. Like, yes. there are seeds planted here, but I think that getting more of a sense of what's happening on in this particular part of the X-Men mythos would be better, and at least sometime. This needs to be resolved. And I, again, I can't wait 537 years for the next... For the next issue to be resolved with this specifically yes the 500 years that this until the next story <laughs> this takes too long <laughs> speaking of taking too long i think that orcus 
staying here too long. Why haven't we destroyed it yet? We see at the end of X-Men or the beginning of we see at the beginning of X-Men number one that the X-Men have successfully taken down the last Orcus base on Earth. But then we find out that they're reopening a whole bunch of stuff in space and they're relaunching, they're redoing the forge, and they're rebuilding and they're retooling. And we have the Doctor Aurelia Gregor, who we saw in the pages of House of X and Powers of Ten. She's back, and this new person, Killian Devo. In terms of this, we get we get the last pages of X Men number six, and we see what Killian and the Omega Sentinel and Ali are up to, and they're creating something. Now, on the other side, we have the X-Men. We're back on Koa, and we get to see Powers of Ten number one, the year 10 part of it, more of it resolved because it's the exact same conversation. What's up with Professor X and Magneto asking Mystique to do this certain deed? What's she going to be doing with Orcus? She's going to be murdering. She's, no. <clears throat> what she's going to do, Dominic is she is going to plant right, so a she seed. straps up, and she's going inside, and she's planting the seed, and she goes back, right? So we saw her die. She's one of the mutants who died in that Orcus fight. And she's back, of course, resurrected. And Magneto and Xavier, they want more. They need something more, right? And so she goes on. And she actually goes into the skies and just beautiful colors by Sunny Go highlighting her shading herself to be, you know, the mystique. And her power is to morph. And so she helps out Aaliyah with the plans for their having on in the future. We see in the end of X-Men number one how... Ellie is mad that her husband died in that explosion and that she's going to bring him back. What's Orcus building? What they want from Mystique is to basically go undercover and figure out what they're building up there. Why do they still need this plant planted up there? Are they making a ma another master mold or what are they going to do? Do they have like a big space ray? They want to find out what's happening. And so they send Mystique up there and she finds out that they're building a Nimrod, which is, as everyone knows... Straight up mutant genocider. Like, that's its only job is to just kill and or enslave mutants. So we are we are completely not fine with this going on forward, right? Nimrod, we saw in Powers of Ten, he's a pretty bad dude. Like, this guy can wipe in, punch and smash. This is this is a guy who is not going to be fun for the X-Men. Like they finally have their own thin, they're setting up their own island, they build a Nimrod. Man, and you could build and produce a whole bunch of these more powerful than possibly Sentinels. And it's just the fact that not only is Orcus going to get what they want in terms of possible ways to exterminate mutants, they're also going to get one of the X-Men's biggest baddies that they've had in more reproducible format. So not only does Mystique find out that we're getting this mutant killer on this island if it if it passes, this is going to be a threat going forward that they just can't afford to have and just in beautiful in all his glory for Orcus, these purple monster beings, and they're about to smash and they're about to take down some names. And Xavier and Magneto don't want that, which is why they specifically have Steak running covert ops for them. Right, and who better to do covert ops? but the most badass shapeshifter of any lore across all genres is Mystique. Fight me. I Like, tell me who's better. Can you think of one person? There is almost nobody better than nope. Mystique at her job. Zero per people who are better than Mystique at her job. She's about to kill her, and she does it. And... We find out that Magneto and Xavier are really mad at the news that Elia wasn't taken out. There's something that Mystique wants, 
She wants her wife, Destiny, back. Destiny, who is a precog, as in she can see the future, is not allowed a Krakoa for whatever reason, and we don't know why yet, but no, they do not want people that can see the future on Krakoa. Specifically Moira Taggart. This, these last pages of her expressing her quote-unquote, her vicious hatred towards the two. And just that she just wants to, Diaz wants her chance to be happy. She gets, you know, she did the work. She went on the Orcus platform. Xavier just example in his band. This is what I love about Hickman's Xavier. Is that he believes he is doing the right thing. You get this pragmatist sort of vibe from him. There is something sinister under that Cerebro helmet. And I think he plays off perfectly. It's enveloped in the fact that we can't necessarily see from, you know, from what the artist is drawing on these panels that, you know, because Mystique's looking at Xavier. We can't necessarily see the world from Xavier's eyes, but we know what Mystique is looking at. We get her enveloping point of view and the reflection of her off of Xavier's Cerebro helmet. And Xavier, again, reiterating the hated and feared fact. Can we talk about that? Hold on. You glossed over that, but let's talk about that shot, that beautiful shot of her reflection specifically the one later on where it's like a little bit warped and he's just like it's just like you know it it really captures the whole scene of what's happening you know because you don't get to see what's xavier's eyes but like you could see hers you know and like that whole uh, the whole idea of the reflecting and i think it's going to be a continued theme i think it's it kind of like he's like that's his head and they're like it he's they're in his head, like he's brought them there, like kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. It's there's some really interesting artistic metaphors there, and I I, I hope it's a continued theme throughout the the rest of the Dawn of X. What speaks to me about the reflection more so is this is still Xavier's dream, right? This is still his world. This is still his vision that he's the one running through it. What the reflection tells me is I think the subtle hint of what we see from Xavier is not his eyes, but just what he looks at the world around him. Like, sure, Mystique is a mutant and she she deserves to be on that island more than, more than anybody else. But it's just him looking and saying, hey, we all need to do our jobs. But there's a bigger, there's a bigger stake in this world than just wanting your wife back. Right. It's realizing what is truly at hands here because of everything that's enveloping with Orcus and recently from X-Men number four, all of those hate-mongering humans. And humans are the worst. The continued theme, humans are the worst, and I agree with it so much. <laughs> it's fantastically written, fantastically drawn, laid off by Sunny Go's excellent colors, and... Just at that shot at the end where she promises someone will burn this down. So now we have the sense of Krakow is going to go down some way, somehow. Who's going to be the first one to toss and turn and say, there's something going on here. I need to go do something about it. And that's why I love the ending of this first quote unquote arc, if you want to call it that. It sets up that there's going to be one person who will revolt against the state. We just don't know who it is, but there will be someone who will take down Krakoa. Yeah, no, this was a great end to a good, perfect six-issue arc. Like, I don't see it as a teaser. Some people might see it as, like, a teaser. Like, they barely gave us anything, just introduced us to something. But no, what they gave us was a Costco-sized sample, and I'm happy about that. What do you think about Lionel Francis Yu coming back again to collaborate on Jonathan, but this time on Pencils? What did you think about his art? Yeah. Uh, this art is phenomenal. It was, I don't, when I read comic books, you know, I, I give it a time to like really like, I read a comic issue and like, you know, I read it, move on. You know what I'm saying? There's a flow to it. But there were some of these panels that I went back to. I went back to and looked at because of how beautifully they were done. The layouts of the characters, just the the, the perfect you know, what makes a regular comic artist good, like, great is, like, being able to have, like, 
them in separate panels, but not interrupting the other panel. Like there's, I'm specifically talking about one of the panels where Cyclops is standing there and like his head's in a different panel, but here he's talking in that panel and neither one is interrupted or looks weird or meta or anything. You know what I'm saying? And those are great. That's what, that's, that's what makes those like issues like top tier and, and not from like regular stuff, you know? I agree with you on that notion. Leno has always been one of my favorite artists, and like he now recently he just shot up to I think my top five because of what I love about Leno is his anatomy yes. is always spot on, which is a plus if you are an artist. If you can get down the anatomy of pretty much every single person in the X Men, regardless of if your expressions sometimes lack emotion, which I argue they don't. You pretty much nail it on the head. Like, no one looks irregular. Everybody is feels and breathes. And his action scenes are just tip-top spectacular. Yeah, I, I, would, ha- I would have to agree, though. Yeah, his, his emotion is pretty, like, yeah, when they're smiling, they're smiling. When they're mad, they're mad. But it's very almost, like, robotic. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like a projection. We know from the context. But you're right. Just the way they do does the action, the way that they just stand there, the way... The perfection and not only the perfection in it. Okay, let's talk about the consistency of it across the board. Every single time, like, you know that that's Cyclops. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know what I'm saying? If they were to all wear suits and then, like, you were to look back, like, complete, like, body bag suits and you have no idea who, like, you just see their silhouette. Like, you could still tell, like, okay, that's Cyclops. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that's that's what's really cool. Another thing that makes you a great comic book. So good. So good. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. It is. I really want to see Lionel do do more work on X-Men and R.I.P. Jerry. It'll be we'll see him limited in some other parts. But yeah, it's it's always fascinating to see what Lionel's doing. I love his artwork. And I love the one-shot sort of story formatting that Jonathan has set in here. Because now that we can finally breathe a little bit after Hoxpox. We get these setup pages. We also get fantastic issues. My favorite personal moment was when Charles took off his Cerebro helmet, revealed himself that he was actually Xavier, and just told him that he still believed in humans, you know. And I want to see more of those Hoxpox entailing varieties, but it's also just fun to have these seminal moments with characters and knowing that they're under good hands. And that's that's what I want people to, I think, get out the most. It's that this franchise yes. is in good hands. It's, you will be there for the storytelling, but the characters also get their moments, which is, for the most part, I, I love to see. Heck, yeah. I'd like to thank the Grand Geek Gathering, our wonderful network for G-G-G. hosting this podcast and for all of the awesome creators also on the site please go check their stuff out dylan gray thank you for joining me on another awesome issue of covering the x-men yeah no and thank you for all and thank you for having me dominic you know what i'm saying it's wonderful to have be on here and talk comics with you i always love it i feel great to be your sidekick and co-host but please make sure to follow Dominic, all right? He's on Twitter and Instagram as Dominic Studio. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well at, or, and live it as Mr. Dylan Gray. That's M-R and Dylan Gray. Make sure to follow the Grand Geek Gathering for more updates and to check out all the other content that we got on there. GGG is full of amazing content creators and you will not be disappointed to check out any of those. All respective designs for the episodes were co-created and headed by my very good friend Maruf. You can follow him on Instagram at Maruf, M-A-R-U-F, 99designs. Thank you again all so much for listening beyond the island of Krakoa with your very own professor the next time.